0: got a text the other day on my phone. It said I'd won a prize. Now, I usually don't believe this, but I checked this one out and it said that I'd uh, actually won an iPhone. uh, That I'd been picked from a number of people to win this phone. All they needed was my address. So I sent them the address. They said they'd send it to me fairly quickly. Uh, That was about two months ago. (laughs) I'm still waiting. I check the mail every day. Nothing. I do get a lot of texts telling me I've won things since then, but uh, yeah, waiting for the mail. We don't do it that often nowadays, do we? We um, get our exchanges through emails and texts. But uh, waiting for the postman used to be such an exciting thing, especially times like birthdays where you'd, uh, perhaps your uh, aunt would send you a card and in it might be $20 or $10, actual cash. Um, someone went overseas, actually sent you a postcard rather than just an email. And, uh, of course, the bills came in the mail then, too. Uh, today we want to begin a new series, a new series of talks looking at uh, uh, angelic visitors, strange messages. And we want to see that these people were actually like God's postmen. Uh, we find out that uh, when Jesus was born, there was a lot of angelic activity. Uh, people were coming and listening to what the angels were saying. There was Mary, there was Joseph. The Magi may have been warned. an angel in a dream, certainly the shepherds saw some angels and so they listened to what God had to say. No doubt you've seen many changes in Christmas celebrations over your time and uh, nowadays of course we could think that uh, perhaps we could do Christmas without Jesus and it seems to be moving that way at times. All we need is a couple of things that uh, we think are Christmassy and then Jesus sort of uh, gets stuck out of the picture. But today we want to concentrate on Jesus and we want to concentrate on what an angel had to say to Joseph on the day when things were pretty black for him. So what I'd like to do is go through this text and see what it has to say. Well, other way, I've got it upside down. That's the one, there we are. Let's read this together. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together she was found to be with child. Ladies, just think for a minute what that would be like. Just go there emotionally for a second. You're a young teenager. You're looking forward to marriage. You probably has been arranged for you by a matchmaker or your families have got together and made the arrangements. You love God. You haven't been intimate with your husband, your future husband. What are you thinking about? Well, I guess like most um, uh, brides, you're thinking about the arrangements. You're thinking about the food. You're thinking about the guest list, last-minute hitches, uh, the dress. I have three daughters, all of whom I've married, between the ages of three and five. We got them dressed up and they dressed up and we had weddings. And then I did marry them off to someone else. Um, we went through the dramas of the wedding day. I have a son too and he got married and I think we played cricket in the front yard until it was time to go to the church. That was a lot easier. But you don't want a complication like this one, do you? When Mary finds out that uh, she's pregnant. Let me put you in a picture of what's going on here. In, in the Jewish system and the Jewish custom, there were three stages in a marriage. Uh, there was the engagement where a couple would have been fairly young and as I said before, this may have been arranged for them or a matchmaker. There was a betrothal, which was a, a one-year period. Now, at this stage, the girl or the guy could pull out of the marriage if they didn't want to. But once that one-year period started, the couple acted as if they were husband and wife. They didn't live together, but they were called husband and wife. And if you wanted to terminate that relationship, you did it through divorce. The Old Testament allowed you to do it through um, uh, if a girl was caught committing adultery, you could, she could be stoned to death. There was still that, um, that legal uh, implication. But uh, then the marriage proper took place at the end of the betrothal year and it was all about the groom. The groom would get dressed up and he'd go down to the bride's place with his friends and then bring the bride back to his place and the couple would live together. Now, it's during this betrothal, this one-year period, that Mary finds out that she's pregnant When we talk about this at school, I often ask the girls in around about year 10 to write down their thoughts. How would it be if you were Mary? What would it be like for you if you became pregnant at this age? Uh, I I did this a couple of weeks ago and got them to write down their thoughts and I got the guys to think about being Joseph. Now, the girls wrote very well and they talked about their dreams and their goals being shattered. Uh, The boys were a little bit different. Here's one of the boys' examples. Roses are red, violets are blue. You slept with a man, I'm divorcing you. Thank you. (laughs) Boys are so generous, aren't they? But this is from one of the girls. It's a 21st century version of Mary. Lizzie. I like that. It's a cousin. Lizzie, oh my gosh, you have no idea what happened to me. I just finished bawling my eyes out and thought I should tell you all about it. Okay, so I was just talking uh, this morning. I was going for a jog. You see, I'm working on my shape. And this creepy guy called Gabriel came up to me and said, I was like highly favoured or something. I was thinking, like, dude, I'm about to be married. Please leave me then. But as if he read my thoughts, he told me not to be afraid. Okay, so he got telling me that I, I was pregnant and, and he was an angel. Pregus? Girl, I ain't even done the deed yet. How can this be happening to me? How can I be the person who's going to conceive the Son of God? And she goes on. It's an interesting experiment when... The kids have to get into the persona of the person they're thinking about. So you can imagine Mary's dilemma, 15 and pregnant, but there's even more complications as we see. Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is not something that just sort of comes about in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit has always been there. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is seen hovering over the waters at the beginning of creation, uh, just about to bring uh, order out of chaos. But here it seems as if it's going to be chaos out of order in Mary's case. The Holy Spirit is seen one who um, gives words to the prophets to speak. It's the Holy Spirit that's breathed into the dead bones in Ezekiel's vision and the bones become life and that mighty army raises up. It's the Holy Spirit in Isaiah that predicts the coming of the Deliverer and the Spirit of God would rest upon him. And so now we see the Spirit at work. The Spirit finds this young Jewish girl through whom he'll reveal God and begin to recreate a broken world. But I guess for Mary, that's not her chief concern at the moment, is it? Mary's thinking, what do I say to Joseph? What do I do now? Will he believe me? Will it bring shame on both our families? In, in Middle Eastern customs, it's, shame is, is such an important thing, shame and honour. And so will this shame our families? So on the surface, it looks like this baby uh, is an ordinary and terrible mistake. Just another teenage pregnancy. But if we look at the Old Testament, we know that God uses the ordinary to bring about extraordinary results. God uses ordinary people and ordinary circumstances to bring about the most remarkable things. We can think of um, Joseph in prison. There is, having been accused of adultery that he didn't do, languishing in prison, bakers and those who are uh, serving the wine come up to him with dreams and he uh, tells them their dreams and he asks that uh, God might... uh, use that dream to somehow get Pharaoh's attention and we find out that uh, one of them says that he'll go and tell Pharaoh about what's happened. And then we get those terrible words, but he forgot. And Joseph is left in that circumstances. And yet we know that Joseph is used by God to bring about an extraordinary result as he becomes a leader in in Pharaoh's kingdom and his people uh, grow and grow under his leadership. We think of Moses who when God called him, said, I, I, I can't speak, I've got, I've got a stutter. And, and God said, Aaron can speak for you. He's your brother. You just give him the words, he'll speak. Or Gideon, who said, I'm the weakest in my clan. I, you can't possibly use me, God. And he asked for a sign twice before he'll do anything from God. And yet God uses him. And there's David. When they go to anoint David, Samuel looks at all the boys in this family of Jesse. and He doesn't see any that fit the bill. And when they say, Have you got any more sons? Jesse said, well, there's a little runt out in the field, but you wouldn't want him. And yet through this ordinary boy, God uses David to become the king and to bind the people on the land together. God uses remarkable, ordinary circumstances to bring about extraordinary outcomes. And the emphasis in Matthew here is not so much on Mary, but on the Holy Spirit working this miracle in Mary's life. Well, let's read on. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Gentlemen, think about this for a minute. Think about what Joseph actually did here. Joseph loves Mary and he loves God. He believes that she's been chased, that she hasn't had a sexual relationship. He probably hasn't even kissed her at this point in this particular culture. And yet she's pregnant and he feels utter betrayal. The girl of his dreams has become the bride of his nightmare and he seeks to, uh, to do something about it. As I said before, he could have put her to shame. He could have publicly made uh, a commotion about it. He could have even put her to death. But he resolves to divorce her quietly, to keep her dignity intact and to get out of this very painful situation as best as they can. What a man. How different it is to guys today who get girls pregnant and then just walk away. What a man Joseph is. The story goes on. But as he considered this, as he considered this conundrum, what would he do? An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph, it's a miracle, it's not a mistake. You're part of God's plan. The Old Testament is being fulfilled in the womb of your teenage fiance. Well, the angel goes on and tells us more. So she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. Now we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Joseph stood up. He was a godly man. He was a dignified man. He married this woman and probably was scorned and so was Mary for the rest of their lives. But he endured that scorn. He served God faithfully. He married a single mother. He adopted Jesus and raised him as his own son. What looks like a terrible mistake is not that at all. But you know, this is all part of God's plan. If you've got your Bibles there, go back to Matthew chapter 1 for a minute and have a look. Matthew chapter 1 starts off with a dusty old genealogy. It looks, like, it looks like a family history. And we wonder, why is that there? It traces Jesus back to Abraham and then through David and Solomon. And uh, it tells us that God has been working to bring about this one event for an, a long, long time. The climax of God's work for all humanity has arrived in the unexpected birth of this child. Look at the names given to the child. One of the names is Jesus. It's it's a common name. I actually think we've got some people here today whose father's name's Jesus. I think that's, yeah, I'll check later. Um, But in the Hebrew, it means Yahweh or God saves. So we're brought face to face as one of the central themes of the New Testament. God saves people and he's going to save them through Jesus. Now, God has been at work with his people since the time of Abraham And he's now come in person to save and rescue us from sin. All those characters in the Old Testament have been leading up to this one event. He's also going to be called Emmanuel in accordance with Isaiah's prophecy, which means God with us. You know, the ancient Hebrews had such an exalted concept of God, they couldn't even write his name. They left out the the vowels when writing the word Yahweh. Um, And when the Romans arrived, they called the Jews atheists. Because they didn't have any statues of their gods around the place. They thought they didn't worship a god because they couldn't see them. But of course they exalted God's name and they knew him totally and completely. And when we say God is with us, the prophecy comes from Isaiah. And uh, we find that originally the child was to be assigned to King Ahaz, that uh, the virgin to be born with son would be Hezekiah. The word for virgin can mean in the original Uh, a girl of marriageable age or or virgin. So for Hezekiah, perhaps it was that first interpretation. For us, it's the second. And that's what Matthew sees. He sees fulfilment of that prophecy coming true in the birth of Jesus. So it's against this background that the writers claim that God has come amongst us. It's not God's representative. It's not like God sends an emissary or an ambassador. It's God himself who comes to us. It's an incredible claim. Jesus is no guru pointing us to God. He's not like a Buddha or he's not like a wise teacher like Gandhi. He is God with us. Well, you might say after looking at those passages, so what? Christmas in Australia today could quite easily take place without any mention of the God with us. All we need is some food. Food. A couple of carols, cake, presents, Santa, game of cricket in the backyard, that's Christmas. Some people tell us that um, science has dispensed with our need for a God. If a man in a white coat says it's true, it's true. If he says it's not true, it's not true. Only logical scientific thinking is a way to work out whether there's truth about something. In popular culture we see this in central characters and some TV shows. Remember Grisham in um, CSI? His policy was never go with your gut feeling. Always go back to logical thinking and reasoning and working out if something is empirically true. Or the the lead character in Bones. Or even Sheldon in uh, uh, the Big Bang Theory. It's very similar, isn't it? They represent this type of belief. Science can solve our problems. Who needs God when we've got science? But you've got to remember the men in white coats also invented ways to devastate our planet. They chewed up our non-reduable resources. They polluted our atmosphere and lakes. They invented weapons of mass destruction and they used them. And above all, if we conclude ourselves in this, we fail miserably to answer the big questions of why are we here? And where do we find meaning and hope? So today, some people say, yes, science can tell us the answers, but... But moving away from that, there are are other ways of knowing truth. And uh, people say nowadays that truth is elusive. What's true for you may not be true for me. That's why we've got spin doctors to sort of hide the truth from people and give us a little bit of truth. The answer to all the big questions in life can be found in looking at ourselves, not in some fairy story about God. Humans alone are responsible for who they choose to be. We're a blank canvas. And uh, we can write our own script. And some people literally are doing that, aren't they, on their arms and on their backs. Uh, Some say that life is like a giant roller coaster. I wouldn't want to go on that one. Life is full of thrills and excitement. It's about being happy. It's about being spontaneous. It's about being creative. What's important is the quality of life that you have. And so health is really important. As long as you've got your health, I guess you've heard that statement before. It's about your achievements and what you've done and perhaps for some it's leaving a legacy. Who needs a saviour when you can do it all yourself? The problem with the roller coaster ride is it comes back to where it started and death robs us of all meaning. This type of thinking gives no eternal hope. It gives us no power to change our corrupted hearts. It doesn't believe in grace and there's no God and nothing to believe in. At the beginning of the book of Hebrews, the writer wrote this, and I'll read some of the excerpts from it. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. What's he saying? If you want to know what God's like, go no further than Jesus. This is what I tell the students at school all the time when they ask me the questions. They know now that every answer is Jesus. And they actually say it when I ask a question so they don't have to sort of figure out the way I got there. But it's true, isn't it? Here is something far greater than scientific achievement, something far greater than the selfish pursuit of pleasure. In Jesus you find the heart of God. There's no need to guess at what God is like. At some point in history, and Luke details this for us in his gospel when he says here when Corinius was governor here and there was a census taken here and uh, uh, Annas was a high priest here and we got all these corresponding lines that say in history at this point in time God broke into our world and changed things forever. God entered our time and space and we can know him. The Olympics, Sydney Stadium. It's a race that Cathy Freeman is running in. There are two children. They don't know each other and they're standing next to each other and they're very excited about this race that's coming up. One little kid says to the other, look, I'm a great fan of Cathy Freeman. I've I've got all the stats. I know the times that she's run. Um, I've got an autograph and uh, I, I know who her competitors are and I know that she can win this race. I know her pretty well. Mother says, well, that's great, but have a look at this. And out of her pocket she pulls a photo and there's Kathy with her arms around this child. And she says, she's my aunt. We can know all about someone, but unless we know them intimately, we don't know them. You can read and read and you can research someone, but if you don't meet them, you don't know them. Knowing about a person, no matter how much you know, is very different from having a relationship with them. And so an angel told Joseph that the God of the universe would be his adopted son and through him we could know the Father intimately. Life is much bigger than the things we see, hear and touch. Life is much more than gaining experiences and going on that roller coaster ride. It's about knowing and being known and becoming the people we were created to be. Joseph could have dismissed everything he heard from the angel as just a bad dream. He could have walked away from that relationship. He could have had Mary shamed and that would have been the end of the chapter. We can be tempted to think that what we see is all we get, that there's no supernatural, that miracles aren't possible. The good news is that Joseph believed God and he acted in a godly and a dignified way. The good news is that what we see is not all we get. Because when God breaks into the world, amazing things happen. And the good news is because of God's incision in our time and space, we can know God intimately. If you've never experienced the intimacy of God, today's a good time to start. Why don't you talk to Stuart or Matt after the service and find out. Matthew tells us that God is with us. His name is Jesus. And you can know him closer than a friend. Won't we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you provide an intimate way to get to know you. We don't have to guess. We don't have to do any homework because you have sent your son into our world to become one of us. We thank you for Joseph and his angelic visit. We thank you for his ready acceptance of your word no matter how much. It went against what he knew and believed. Father, we pray that we might accept your word and understand it, and be drawn closer to you and into intimate fellowship with you. Amen.